You know I can't count that high. You got to stay under my fingers and my toes. All right. Why? Did you keep all your fingers after the infantry and all yeah, your toes? I still, got all, I still got all of them. I mean, they don't all bend like they're supposed to, but they're there. Okay. So you can count to 24. Got it. Wait, what? I don't think you understand how biology works, Doc. All right. Maybe we ought to send you back to the schools. All right. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we have another interesting and distinguished panel of guests. By panel, I mean two. Uh, we've got reoccurring guest Jonathan Yanez. So can you please introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers, John? Sure. My name is uh, Jonathan Yanez. Like Jared was saying, I've been writing science fiction fantasy for almost 10 years. And uh, as you'll see later on in the podcast, when we start talking about it, starting to make the transition now from writing and uh, publishing novels to now writing and producing scripts. Outstanding. And the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we first found them. So as I've mentioned, every time he comes on the show, because he's been on a few times, we like him, uh, mostly because he's got a nice wife and she she gives us free books. Uh, but Jonathan and I met in a uh, sci-fi authors group way back when, and the rest is history. And then we just sort of dragged. Uh, we drug Doc's kicking and screaming into the insanity, and you know she didn't run away yet, so I guess we're stuck <laughs> with her. I don't run um, unless there's an emergency. Do, uh, John, your your wife won me over when she gave me free ebooks. I think yeah, <laughs> we've. Uh, I think I've known you since maybe like 2018. Yeah, we met right? in, in uh, one of the author groups that got shut down, but it was uh, 2017 when we first started talking. Oh, 2017, yeah. So yeah, and then we met in person in Vegas in 2018. That's right. Yeah. And you've been kind enough to have me back. You didn't learn your lesson the first time. No, 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 we didn't. But that's okay. I'm a glutton for punishment. And next we have the famous director, Mr. Matthew Charles Hall. Charles Hall. I even said I was going to pronounce that right, right <laughs> in the introduction. And I just cursed myself. But can you introduce yourself to your as yet unrealized adoring fans? I was going to say the famous Matthew Charles Hall. I was like, I am most assuredly not he, but... Uh... But I'm flattered to be here, and uh, thank you guys so much for having me on. And uh, I'm a documentary, primarily documentary filmmaker, but I do um, I do genre films as well, based here in Southern California. And I've been in the independent uh, film production circle since uh, 2008. I had my first film at a film festival, and uh, it's a bug that has bitten me, and I'm I'm still dealing with the side effects all these years later. So it's, I'm happy to be here. Outstanding. And we actually found uh, Matthew through Jonathan. He because said Jonathan kid. kidnapped him and said, yeah. here, you're going to do this. That's right. And, and we, we like all of our kidnapped guests. But uh, so I've actually recently discovered a lot. There's a lot more indie content out there for movies than I thought. Mm -hmm. uh, we found the Dust channel, if you're familiar with that. And I didn't realize if you're creative enough, exactly what you can do with movies uh, on an independent budget. Mm -hmm. so that, yep. that always, that's impressed me and they do it with real acting instead of just green screen and the special effects that's the only way to do it well, <laughs> in my book <laughs> some of the, the more professionally produced movies they rely so much on the heavy the special effects that it's like the actors forgot how to act I would definitely agree with you it's and like we can posing in front of the screen yeah. so it's, it's always nice when you see people that are like oh who knew actors acted still right right absolutely <laughs> All right, so Jonathan, this one is for you. How did you link up with Matthew? Um, I mean, I think it was just fate. 
Matt saw me from across the lawn at a barbecue and our eyes met. Now we just started talking about everything, uh, science fiction, fantasy. I think like I threw out like um, maybe a phrase in Jumanji and he started laughing. We started talking about Indiana Jones and then Star Wars. Then I found out that he was a director and I talked to him that I was starting to write scripts. And then uh, I think, yeah, pretty much we just like secluded ourselves for the rest of the barbecue and didn't talk to anybody else. We were just talking about books and movies and TV shows. Doc, I, I think we're in trouble. I think I have a bromance competition now. I don't know how to feel about this. I think you'll still lose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks. Boost the confidence. I just needed that. You, JR, you are wonderful at many, many, many things. Yeah. I feel a butt coming on. Everyone <laughs> got really quiet. Everyone got really quiet just now. <laughs> uh, all right, Doc, ask him the religion questions. Uh, and you get to pick who goes first, Doc. <laughs> it's okay. These... You and Nance too. So, you know, what? I said you get to pick who goes first on each of these religion questions, but we might have to pick. That is to his cue to remind me to, rem to, to tell you which one should answer first. Yes, that so. was very subtle of me. <sighs> Sometimes, man, sometimes. So our first round of questions are Flight of the Navigator, Space Camp, or Last Starfighter. Um, Matthew, you're new, so you can go first. Well, I think I'm gonna go with and I'm I'm you're already making me alienate people by <laughs> picking favorites. Uh I, I think I'm gonna have to go with uh the book of um the, that chapter of uh movie history from the early eighties, The Last Starfighter. Last uh, Starfighter is my favorite out of them. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Last Starfighter. I think it's a very fun movie and it's it still holds up so well. And it's a little uh yeah, it's it's I I like that one. I think the the visuals still still hold up, and I like the story, and I love the the romance. It feels like very much a product of its time, but in a good way. I um I showed my uh, my son the space camp one, and he's like, "Why didn't they just pull out their cell phone? They could have done all of this from their bunk. Why did they sneak out?" Yeah, oh, you innocent child. <laughs> all right, what about you, John? Uh, I think I have to agree. It's been a long time. Like in all honesty, it's been a while since I watched it. So I have to rewatch it, but I have good memories of it. Fair enough. Of what? Last Starfighter or Space Camp? <laughs> no, the last Starfighter. I never even saw Space Camp, so. Oh, wow. You're missing out. You need to watch that. No, I'm not missing out. I'm reading. There's a difference. Okay. So. I'll give you that one. Now we're going for, oh, I know which one I, I like out of this the, these three. So Red Sonia, The Golden Child, or Willow. Jonathan. I don't know what The Golden Child is, but I definitely know what Red Sonia is and what Willow is. What's The Golden Child? I, I watched The Golden Child like so many times. Um, it, I think Eddie Murphy's? Yes, it's Eddie Murphy. Isn't it? So it's... Yep. It's a campy but, um, sort of Eastern meets Western style karate type movie. Oh, that sounds like popular fun. in the eighties. It traumatized me when it came to um, I oatmeal. I don't know that it would be considered culturally acceptable these days. Everybody gets really offended about things, so I don't know that that would stand up in a modern audience. But it was it was period of a uh, product of its time. When I was seven, my babysitter flipped out and told me it was a horror movie, and I wasn't allowed to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it, but I'd already watched it with my dad five times. 
let's see. Okay, so I think I think I'd have to go with Willow then. I think Willow's pretty classic and uh, with Val Kilmer in there, right? Val Kilmer was yeah. like the main character. Yeah, they're supposed to be making a second one of that. They're supposed oh. to be making a second of a lot of things. Yeah, we'll see if it happens. But I mean, it it's cries out for a sequel, but you you just can't redo it. You got to just move the story forward. All right, what about you, Matthew? Yeah, I'm I I'm definitely gonna go with Willow. That's no contest for me. That's a it's a beautiful Ron Howard film, and it's a highly underrated James Horner score. Um, to me, that's like a definitive sword and sorcery um, epic in my book. And Val, Val Kilmer is great. He's like peak Val Kilmer, you know. Uh, Warwick Davis is so great, and he gets like actual face time. He's not playing, you know, he's not an Ewok. He's not he's not playing roles that he's got to wear a lot of costuming. It's like he he gets to really be himself, you know, and I really, I really like that. And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful Ron Howard film, highly underrated. I, I like that uh, they had this best swordsman in the, in the universe that it was filmed in. And we almost never see him with a sword. I like that sort of dichotomy. For some reason that's always seemed as like really good storytelling to me. Oh, absolutely. And he's, he's such a clumsy, you know, he's always drinking and everything. And, and um, yeah, he's not, he's not necessarily a, a super likable character the whole time, but you fall for him anyway. Yep. All right, Doc. Okay. So next we're kind of going to go round robin and let everybody answer. But what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? And we're going to start with Matthew. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it was definitely sci-fi. Um, I was probably three years old at my sister's apartment and I was peeking around the sofa and Darth Vader was on the TV, and I knew I was scared to death of him. It was the opening scene of Return of the Jedi when he comes off the shuttle. And so I remember that. And because I was, I was born in 85, so I got a lot of these movies out of order on initial viewings. And Star Wars, I certainly saw the trilogy all out of, all out of order. Um, but I, and then, of course, Star Trek IV uh, and five, like the later of the original series was, was coming out theatrically. So uh, it was definitely like Star Trek four repeated viewings on, at my house because that was the safest one, you know, for a kid to watch with the whales, you know, and um, and then definitely. So I, I was it was Star Trek first and then about 10 years old, Star Wars hit and and I've never been the same since, but definitely, definitely sci fi for me. We grew, we grew up in the, with the 80s and the 90s where the movies had the actual good soundtracks. Whereas nowadays, I think the soundtrack quality of some of these modern movies have just, they've gone as pale imitations of what used to be. I mean, like the, the soundtrack, the Imperial March, I mean, come on, you can't beat that. You know, no, you do CPR to that and it's the correct phasing. Really? Yeah. Interesting. That's right up there with Last of the Mohican for-, for I am a medic. So you sometimes because you can't count, you know, the number of fingers and toes, so- I can count. <laughs> That's one. Your start. What comes next? All right. What I can also you? speak sign language. <laughs> what about you, John? Um, I think it was fantasy. I think the earliest I remember is uh, like at a super young age reading Chronicles of Narnia. Ooh. And then uh, a little bit later, Lord of the Rings. But I think it was Chronicles of Narnia that mm. really sucked me in. I can remember reading a lot of uh, like Dragonlance books and some of the Star Wars books have fond memories of those two so uh a lot of reading and then on the sci-fi side i think the earliest memories i remember uh i was sick 
And it was like a big thing to be able to watch TV like in our bedrooms. But since we were sick, my dad had like set up the TV in our bedroom so we could watch TV from bed. And somebody had loaned us the Star Wars movies on VHS. Nice. So that's probably one of my earliest memories of sci-fi and just like being sick, not super sick, but a little bit sick and just like watching uh, Star Wars in bed. How cool That's sick enough where you don't go to school, but you so, know, you're underfoot if you're at home. Yeah. So yeah. have you uh, passed that love on and read those books with your kids? Yeah. So uh, our five-year-old, we've already been doing audio books with her. You can't be five. She's... Like yesterday she was born. I, <clears> I know. <laughs> it's bananas how time seems to speed up when you have kids. But uh, yeah, definitely passing on the tales that, you know, I grew up with to her. Outstanding. You know what? I'm starting to think maybe I should have just put on audiobooks and then never had to read to my kid because I suck at reading out loud. If you need a break, I mean, like you find a good audiobook with a good narrator and it's like a performance who can do different inflections with their voice. And uh, I, I mean, it might keep his attention. I, well, he's doing. He's now older and into the graphic novel scene. So. You want to mess with someone who likes graphic novels and manga and stuff? Tell them they're picture books. Watch the. I did that at Barnes and Noble this past week when we went took <laughs> the boy shopping, and it's like twelve people in the aisle just stopped and stared at me, and they're like, "Let's get him. He speaks heresy." <laughs> and of course, all the other parents that were there were just laughing. Everybody but the kids thought it was hilarious. I can totally see that, and you know what. Now I'm going to get hate mail, but it's okay. You deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matthew kind of already answered this question of what your first memory of engaging in the speculative fiction genre was. But Jonathan, since Matthew answered already, what's your answer? My first memory in engaging with it? Yeah. I still want to say it was reading Chronicles of okay. Narnia. Like I know probably viewing something came first at some point, right? Because I could watch something before I could read. But I can't think of what I would have watched or anything that I saw that would have come before uh, starting to read. Uh, yeah, I can't. I think oh. Chronicles of Narnia is my first, like at least the first one that really impacted me. Okay. I can remember. The cool thing about that is, is I've, we've done some authors where we've interviewed them multiple times. You're not the only one. And I've noticed some, a lot of them, every time we ask the question, we get a different answer because it's like, oh, what about this? And then they like, they keep remembering because, you know, <laughs> you don't remember what you don't remember, obviously, until you do. Well, that sounded really witty. Oh, I'm smart tonight. But you uh, know what? It happens. But yeah, I, I, I cheated a, when you asked me this question and I was like, I don't remember a time without it. So there. You're, you're a like second generation nerd. So, I mean, it, it was bound to happen. You know what? I am. I, I've talked to your mother. I know. <laughs> All right, Doc. Yeah, let's get moving you're before so I derail the train completely. So, what is it that you love about the speculative fiction genre? Matthew, you get to go first. The speculative fiction genre. I guess... Uh... I mean, that's such, I, we could talk for forever about that. I think for me, it's just uh, a, a total escapism, you know, in the in the finest sense in that uh, anything goes, you know? Um, and so I would say that that, I think, is the, the biggest thing for me. And when you're a kid, you know, when you're that impressionable age, you know, four or five, and it's like, all right, it's reading time. You know, it's like you're, you're grabbing anything you can. You're just like, 
you know, and, and as a kid, you consume things over and over and over again. And it's interesting to see like what you kind of take from that and what you kind of take from, you know, I, I too remember reading Narnia um, probably like first grade. And I remember that was really the first time that I felt emotional about, you know, words in print, you know, and I remember seeing the, the BBC um, television version of Chronicles of Narnia, which might've been made in the like early eighties or late seventies with, with pretty limited visual effects you know, but I just remember being like, that's not how it was in my mind, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so for us, especially now from a filmmaker standpoint uh, today, you know, in that genre, you know, budget, um, w when you're picturing in your mind, budget isn't a problem, you know? So I think that's what I like most about it is that it's pure escapism. It gets you away from the, the harsh reality that we live in. And, and um, I've always gravitated towards, towards, uh, you know, specifically, sci-fi and like pulp adventure you know um uh I'm, i was a history major so a lot of stuff that falls within those confines you know um indiana jones and stuff like that but uh for me all that stuff really you know i was a i was a nerd growing up and i'm i'm a professional nerd now you know uh I'm so what, what was that Put professional nerd on your business card yeah yeah exactly yeah. So I think that's what I like most about it. You know, I feel like I feel like all of us could kind of give a similar answer to a degree, you know. OK. All right. Did. Uh... No, I was going to ask if Jonathan wanted to add anything or. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, for me, the reason I like it the most is it's freedom. I'd, uh, I'm not a really big rules person. Don't like a lot of rules. Uh, so. <laughs> so when I get to sit down and write, it's just like freedom. I'm just like on this adventure with these characters. And as Matt and I will probably talk later, like when we were coming up with the idea and outlining, um, I was just telling them like, I don't need a whole lot of structure. We just need to like know our characters really well. And then we'll figure out the rest with them. But we'll just go on this journey. I can like them. hear my English teacher from junior high going, Miss Blitzel going, Seska, I know I said you could be free with this but you still have to follow the rules of grammar. <laughs> One of my favorite that may sayings. may have been a discussion or two. Yeah, yeah, for sure. One of my favorite sayings is know the rules before you break them. So at least if you're breaking them, at least you're aware that like, hey, keep this to a minimum or this isn't usually done. But you could, I'm a big fan of still breaking them anyway, but just at okay. least knowing, being aware of it. No, she was also the teacher who told me that if you're going to misspell a word, you misspell it consistently throughout. Pick a spelling and stay with it. Commit to it. Well, she goes, you know, that way she she only counted off points one time for a misspelling then. But if you misspelled it three different ways, that was three points. Oh, that's good. I didn't think of that. So. Fair. So we're going to start with you this time, Jonathan. How did your love of speculative fiction as a genre transition into you, you writing stories in it? You've told us a little bit before, so we'll accept the Reader's Digest version. Yeah, um, I was just in a job that I didn't really want to be at. I feel like life is a gift and we got one shot at this. we got to make it count. So when I was at that job that I really wasn't happy with, finally just put my back against the wall and decided this is what I really want to do. I really want to tell stories and I really want to write books. So I uh, quit my job, cashed in my 401k. So there's so no safety net. Didn't tell my wife I was doing this. So just tell her, uh, you know, I quit one day. 
and she truly loves you because <laughs> you're still alive. Yeah, we're still together. So, yeah, I just I uh, burned my boats. There was no going back. There's no option but to succeed. And then I just started writing. And a uh, hundred rejections later, I got my first publishing deal. And then I decided like, hey, I don't need a publisher. I could just be my own publisher. I could just do this myself. Started our own publishing house. And it's just been a whirlwind from there. I feel like that's going to be the title of your autobiography, No Safety Net. <laughs> like, that's just like the, the sort of perfect metaphor for your life. Matt, uh, for years. <laughs> Matt and I were, uh, we've had a bunch of different meetings kicking off this uh, film project, but in one of the meetings, I forget how it came up, but I think the saying was desperate and reckless. Somehow Matt said desperate and reckless. And I was like, oh, that's going to be the name of my autobiography. <laughs> that works too. <laughs> we got a few working titles now at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, now we'll pass the question to you. Obviously, as a director, you're doing things instead of on the book side with the movie side. But how did your love of the genre of speculative fiction translate into you becoming uh, a creator of content in that space? Um, I mean, it's just when you're given the, you know, um, I think it was Spielberg who said filmmaking is a chance to, to live many lifetimes, you know. And so uh, with each project that I've done, whether it's documentary or, or a fiction, uh, you know, a narrative fiction piece, it's really putting everything that you know and love in the same way that Jonathan does, where he, where he finds his influence, where he finds his inspiration, the things that, you know, make up a part of who he, who he is and why he loves this genre. Um, it's kind of the same thing for me to the chance of like, well, what can I do that, that uh, pays homage to, to, you know, the films that I grew up on as a kid, you know, and um, you don't want to, you certainly don't want to just, remake that but you want to have your own spin on that your own your own um your own view you know and so i would say i think for me it's the chance to to kind of create that same sort of feeling in an audience's you know stomach when they're watching a film if they can get invested in the characters in the same way that that i love to see you know myself or as a kid the stuff that i love to see if you can just get a fraction, a recreate a fraction of that, of that love for something, I feel like, um, then I've done my job, you know? So, so I, I about it. Oh, that's what I, was, I just was saying. I think that's what I like most about it is entertaining someone and, t and telling a story, you know? Um, I don't, I tr truthfully don't read a ton of, of contemporary fiction, but, um, but you know, what I was going to say is, um, that, that yeah, it's just it's it's trying to recreate that feeling uh, in an, in an audience um, when they when they see something and, and if they're if they're entertained, then I feel like we've done our job, you know. Okay, so I know as authors, the general rule of thumb is either ten percent or the first one or two chapters. If you haven't hooked them by then, you've lost them. Is there a similar rule for movies? Do you have a certain set of time to hook them as viewers before you've lost oh, yeah. them? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, gone are the days that, you know, we'd all go to the Blockbuster on a Friday night and rent two movies. And those were the two movies you had all weekend. Right. And you didn't have you had to watch them. And if they sucked, you <laughs> you're like, all right, I guess I picked it out based on the Drew Struzan cover art, you know, and uh, I'm taking it home and that's what I'm going to watch. But nowadays, you know, you have endless possibilities with Netflix and Hulu and all these different streaming platforms. And if someone They'll just start a movie and it's like if you're not glued to it in the first 30 seconds, you're onto something else. So it's only become more competitive 
uh, you know, and it's it, it's it's got to be gripping, you know. And Jonathan, you know this in, in writing your fiction, you know, it, you have to have someone hooked by, you know, uh, the first few pages. So yeah. uh, I think for filmmakers, it's, it's the same thing, and even more so because everyone everyone's consuming video content, you know. Uh, and for us independents, it's um, it's even more difficult. You know, everyone's going to go out and see, you know, the new James Bond or Dune because it's James Bond and Dune, right? But if, um, you know, because it's name recognition, they're already committed to it because they already know the characters. But for someone who's doing something fresh and original, you know, it's, uh, it's a constant uphill battle. So do you feel like there's still room in the market for the slow burn with movies if you've only got that first few minutes to grab them? Well... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I love that. You know, I loved uh, I loved the Green Knight. I don't know if you guys saw the Green Knight uh, with Dev Patel, but I got a lot of, com you know, I re was reading online. People said oh, it takes it takes forever to get through this movie. It's so slow. And it's like I'm watching it from a filmmaking standpoint and I'm, I'm hanging out uh, every frame of that movie is just stunningly beautiful, you know. But, um, I, you know, my, my thing would be um, if, if you have a good story to tell, then that should and that should be enough. However, you want to tell it. Don't don't necessarily, you know, give in to to the expectations of all right. I need an action sequence on page two, you know, or in minute two, you know, of this movie. Um, I I still think about if it's a good story, it's it's going to sell itself. All right. So many authors will let their or filmmakers uh, will let their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell. So were there any formidable moments that shaped you as a storyteller, Jonathan? So just moments like as I'm growing up that I kind of look back on now as I'm telling stories? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I have memories of my mom taking my brother and I to the library and then just, you know, filling up crates of books. And we'd fill up like a crate of books and take them back home and read them all week and then, you know, return to the library and then take another creative books home. And I think that's helped whether I knew it or not at the time. I think that's helped and kind of formed me into the storyteller that I am now where I'm able to kind of look back and think back on those stories and look at how they influenced my writing today. Okay. And uh, what about you, Matthew? Was there any formidable moments that shape the way you tell stories now? Yeah, you know, um, I would say, you know, growing up with my grandparents, certainly, and, and that kind of influence uh, as a kid, you know, uh, my parents weren't really into pop culture uh, at, when I was at a very young age. So what I did, what I did get to see or was able and allowed to see, my parents, you know, were, were fairly conservative and I didn't get a chance to, to see a lot of stuff until I got older. Um, so when I did, I just, I hung on every frame of that. I hung on every word, you know, of that. So, um, I think that, that kind of experience, uh, you know, my, my children's film, my, the David's dinosaur, the movie, we took the Lionsgate. It's a story about a little boy with his grandfather, you know? And for me, it's like, I would give anything to have one more day with my grandfather. I think most people would, you know? And so for me, it's like, what can I do to, in a cinematic realm, to recreate that or to create a highly stylized version of that, you know, but that's, um, I'd say that being, being very young and kind of just discovering, you know, uh, just discovering sci-fi, my love of Jules Verne and stuff like that. Um, 
is really why, and that spirit of adventure, you know, and exploration, I think that's why I gravitated to Star Trek as a kid. I gravitated to to Star Wars, certainly, um, and and appreciate different aspects from both of them, but love them very much the same, you know. Um, uh, Jurassic Park, it came out when I was eight. That was probably my Star Wars, you know. Yeah. And so all of that kind of stuff really just shaped who I am, the possibility that this could happen, you know, Star Trek could happen. We just have to get to that. We just have to get to that point. And it's, once, it's a few steps away and you just got to take it one step at a time. Jurassic Park was when I woke up and I realized that fiction could teach you moral and philosophical lessons. That famous line, we, we were so busy figuring out if we could that we never stopped to figure out if we should. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and if you've read Crichton's novel, you know, and I, I read it when I was eight, I've read it. Probably the only, only contemporary fiction that I will continually reread, like every few years I revisit that one. Um, but it, it's like, you look around at what's going on right now in the world and it's like, we, we are um, literally at that threshold, you know? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, I think 2020 showed how disturbingly accurate uh, real life can mimic the art that we've been reading. Yes. So, yeah. Um, yeah. There were definite points where uh, John Ringo has a black, his black tide rising series where I was going, okay, no, stop. Bad John Ringo. Put the magic eight ball down. Yeah. No. So. But getting back onto the focus of you guys, these questions, Jonathan's answered them a couple times for us. So uh, if you're really curious about Jonathan's answers, go check out those episodes. These are going to focus on Matthew's experiences with fandom. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know. And I can always get to ask these because they're fun. For me. That was a little bit too dark of an of an evil laugh. Like, um, I'm getting some supervillain vibes, so... You're not the director here. Shush. <laughs> okay. So have you gotten any cool fan art or a cosplay of one of your characters yet from something you've worked on? No, no, I haven't. Uh, so I did, I did direct the audience choice award winner uh, for 2018 star Wars film festival. Oh, cool. It was a, it was a Lucasfilm sponsored um, uh, and, and blessed Lucasfilm blessed event. Um, and we had access to the like the Ben Burt sound library and stuff like that, so it was insane. And I got to direct um, the the actual droids in it, which was a dream come true. Um, so so that's the closest I've had to like people showing. Like when we screened the movie, people came in costume, and it was oh, that's it, so cool. It was so cool. So that's really the only like cosplay I've seen from a project that I've done. You, you should come to Dragon Con because they have droid meetups. Oh, I'm cool! Not even kidding. Yeah. So as a director, you know, you guys, you have lots of props, but you also do it on a budget. So do you get to keep any of your props? Like, is there any cool ones you've kept along the way? There's a few. There's a few. I mean, they might have fallen off the back of a truck or something. We won't judge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I have a lot of cool props from, I've got some swords. I, the blacksmith from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean was a blacksmith on my movie, and we I kept all the swords that he had made. Uh, I would too. We made the hook for Hook, for Spielberg's hook. Um, and so I have a whole bunch of like people are like, oh, how do you have all these like, you know, random things? I do have a, I do have a lightsaber from from the Star Wars shoot, and then for my dinosaur film, I have like the actual dinosaur egg that hatches, 
and some dinosaur claws and because uh, we built an animatronic puppet for that and um, trying to think of what else that I have. Oh, I have a huge in one of my films. There's a huge like submarine miniature. It's like this big rusted submarine model that was laying on its side on the rocks. And so I have the miniature uh, in my entryway when people walk in like, are you into <laughs> submarines? And I was like, no, but that was in my movie. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. You brought us yeah. a guest, Jonathan. We appreciate this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. When uh, we were starting to gear up and get ready to um, shoot this pilot, uh, you guys were the first people that I thought of. Aw. Thank you. Jonathan's so nice. We like him. I, you know, we can keep him, JR. He starts with he does J. give us three books, so. <laughs> we <laughs> So, uh, has anybody asked for your autograph away from, like, a signing or something? I don't yeah. Know yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not famous at all, but, but I, you know, when I was doing, uh, I had a film at the Cannes Film Festival and I had, um, my recent documentary, we toured internationally with it. And, um, and so I did a lot of signings for it. Like the poster's really cool for it. So it's a documentary called The Longest Road and it screened at a lot of, uh, events and so people would come up and ask for and it's always weird because it's like I, it doesn't even feel like that kind of project you know but I would I would sign posters for people and stuff like that and it's always it's always very humbling that someone wants you know that wants to meet you and talk about what they just saw and like for me as uh, those are the reviews that you know I care the most about is when you meet people in person after a movie and they and they they say, oh, you know, I love this part in it. And it's the part that I never thought someone would actually like, that's your favorite part. Oh, I'm, in, I'm interested to know why, you know, and uh, I always welcome. Um, I love that kind of feedback and that kind of face to face experience, especially from like I think about me, you know, seeing films as a kid. I wish I had had that as a kid, you know, um, or, and, and even now, I'm, I mean, here in Southern California, I get the opportunity to meet a lot of filmmakers at events and stuff or at screenings and what have you. And so I, I realize I'm I'm pretty fortunate that a good majority of the world doesn't really get those opportunities, you know. So yeah. for me, it's always very flattering. When we like, I think probably one of the hard things is with authors. Yes, there's the critical author reviews thing, but there doesn't seem to be as many. Um, but like, you log on to Amazon and Goodreads and stuff like that. So you authors can find more individual like these are actual fans, not hoity-toity critique people is yeah. that a thing for directors have you never been on amazon look at any yes, i've been on amazon but i don't shop on amazon a lot if you go to any of the products you'll get reviews tearing apart the movies everyone thinks they're the next i don't know siskel and ebert when it comes to writing their amazon reviews and See, some of them can be it's like i watched that movie are you sure you're reviewing the same movie See, I, I learned long ago to ignore most people's opinions on movies and unless I know them very well. And typically, unless I agree with their opinion on books, I'm probably not going to like their opinion on movies. I just heard a, a good quote. I think it was from Denzel Washington about critics and reviews. And the quote was, very rarely will you be criticized by somebody doing more than you. Most of the time, you'll be criticized by somebody doing less. No, yeah, that's good that, that wouldn't leave very many people left to criticize Denzel Washington. So <laughs> he's <laughs> sort of sure. reached the apex. That's true. That's true. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think with everyone, you know, I, social media has been a blessing and a curse, you know, uh, everyone, feels <laughs> everyone feels they have an opinion, you know, and so I, when I did, uh, when I did the Star Wars short, you know, uh, that was right after The Last Jedi, and as you know, fans were really divided on the film, and our film, it's, it's set in a, like, it's a, it's a fantasy version, like Star Wars is an actual movie in the short film, but then it's like a Peter Pan sort of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so because it's like a Peter Pan alternate reality, uh, it's like a movie about Star Wars. It's not a Star Wars movie. Uh, we're like, oh, okay, well, people aren't going to mind. It's, you know, you see your Darth Vader's there and BB-8 is there, you know? And so I, I randomly would get messages on my Facebook or Instagram, people saying those two characters didn't exist at the same time and all this stuff. And it's like, First of all, this is not canon. <laughs> I'm flattered that you tracked me down on social media to vent to me about this, you know. Um, but uh, I've gotten hate mail. I've gotten hate mail. So, I, I mean, I did a movie on Iraqi refugees, so I've gotten hate mail. <laughs> uh, I can imagine. Um, I have not gotten any hate mail other than I did have somebody one time go, hey, look, the person running this area needs to sleep. Which was ironic because I was reading that comment at two thirty in the morning. Oh gosh! So I, I noticed this, and Doc has, and I have talked about this before off show, different multiple times. But when I took the the kid to the um, to the bookstore, and I'm going through while he's looking because this the sections were side by side. I'm going through the sci-fi and fantasy section, and I'm like, oh, I know that author, and I know that author, and I know that author. That guy's a jerk, and I know. Do you get that when you go to a movie now, or you go to the, like a movie? I guess Blockbuster isn't a thing, but the movie section of stores, we're like, oh, I know that person, or, or do you have that happen now? Yeah, I, I uh, I've been fortunate to 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 know and meet a lot of individuals, and most of them are like behind the camera folks, people that you see in the credits, but you might not necessarily know their faces. But I I have a few. I have mostly great stories. I have mostly really great stories. Um, Nothing, nothing awful, you know, and I just was thinking I, I, this past year, we lost Cloris Leachman, we lost Ed Asner, and I've been for fortunate to, to, to spend time with both of them. And, you know, most of the stories that I have from the people who were, who, if they, if they had, you know, that I've met, it's the people who are like trying to climb the ladder that, that have been kind of rude or kind of off-putting and you're like, I've I've met I've met and worked with Oscar winners and they're the nicest people in the world. But it's the one it's someone who just gets a little taste of that, you know, that that sometimes can be the most difficult, you know. And I'm and I'm just thinking to myself, you haven't earned that right to be the asshole, <laughs> you know. Sometimes. That frustrated athlete that becomes a coach and is really bitter, that kind of thing going on. Yeah, that that for sure, that for that sure. That doesn't so, sound like anything I've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> It's the, uh, to me. It's that it's the John Wayne quote. He says, "Keep your head low and and don't talk too much." You know, and uh, my thing is just like you know, stay humble, stay humble. And to me, all these people that I've that I've known or worked with who were very successful, you know, it's I, I would want to get a beer with them, you know. So, and sometimes that happens, and other times it doesn't. And and others, you know, you I've heard. I've heard a few horror stories, <laughs> but I'm sworn to secrecy. <laughs> Those NDAs, they ruin everything. We don't want, we don't want to talk about from the lawyers. There's too many people in this world, particularly with social media, who think 
ne- being negative adds extra value. So eh. yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I once had to look at somebody and I go, you know, it doesn't make you discerning. It just makes you sound like a jerk. Yeah. Yep. I'd use another language, but we're family friendly or we try to be. <laughs> so have you ever spotted anyone or heard about anyone that have actually watched your movie since it's indie? It's more of a niche thing, right? So I can't imagine that you're constantly running into people who have seen your movies. No, uh, I know that uh, a lot of people at Lucasfilm saw the Star Wars short because we won oh, the cool. Choice Award. So I know that the top brass at uh, Lucasfilm saw it. Um, and I think there's a photo of Mark Hamill ho- holding our poster, which to me is probably like got to be insane. That would be super cool. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Uh, or he's pointing to it. I'm trying to remember what it is. But um, um, and then for I'm trying to think now. I'm now I'm on the spot. What uh, if I know of anyone super famous who's seen my stuff? I can't recall. I'll have to think about. Have to be famous. Have you? Have you? Have to be famous. Normies no. out and about that have seen your stuff. Say that one more time. They don't have to be famous. Uh, have you run into just normies out and about, like regular folk? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've uh, I've been at, uh, especially here in Southern California. I've been, you know, at restaurants or or because um, I because my documentary, my my big my documentary was like kind of my big project, and I'm in the film actually. Okay. Uh, so people, I had a few people come up and and talk to me at restaurants. Say, hey, I just saw your movie. And that's always kind of interesting. And it's, it's flattering that they, one, recognize you, and then, two, actually commit to that and say, okay, I think I'm going to go out on a limb and introduce myself and talk about it. And uh, I've, I've, I, always, I always love that. And, I, you know, it's, it's very flattering. So with your documentary, you've worked with, uh, for that one, it's the, what was it? I've got the name written down here in a second. And I'm definitely watching this after the show. But it was the um, – uh, yeah. When you, you get in just documentaries in general, you have people that are basically bearing their souls to you uh, in, in documentaries. Is that something that's hard to process? It's a very different way of, you know, when I got the gig to do that film, uh, you know, they said, oh, you've made movies before. And it's like, yeah, I had made a like a six minute documentary short at the Cannes Film Festival years ago. But uh, I said, you know, it's essentially take all my film school and just chuck it out the window because doing documentary film is, is, is so, so vastly different. And we were shooting in Iraq. We were shooting in on the Syrian border. I've now done two films over there and it just every experience over there is, it's so vastly different than being on a soundstage and shooting a, you know, commercial or, or, or something even on, even on location or, or working with the screen actors guild. It's just a very different, uh, there's a raw reality to it. And, you know, you only get one take often when you're doing a documentary. It's just, it's unfolding in front of you and you're, you're filming it, you know, in that sense. So just imagine going, well, we're going to do this and then going, never mind. That's a Shamal. So when were you in Iraq to do this filming? I was there in 2015 and 2016 uh, for the first film. And I actually was just over there in March of this year, shooting a follow-up, and I had to, I got sick over there, actually. My, my whole team got COVID. And oh, COVID. Okay. Yeah. A lot of people get sick because the dust in the air and all the particles and pollutants from the uh, the oil fires. Well, if, because they don't have an EPA. That too. Yeah, they've, they've got bigger issues over there, for sure. Yeah. Wow. 
So, so, so did you enjoy, other than, you know, the fact that you got sick, did you enjoy your experience over there? Yeah, I've been over three times in, in, uh, in Iraq specifically, uh, and I was on the, uh, the Syrian border with this most recent film. And uh, just the most, the most hospitable people, you know, just wonderful, incredible people. And uh, food. really great experience. Yeah. It's trying to make me hungry for Arabic food again. Yeah. You'll I have a very suggestive palate. Uh, it's weird to hear people going there voluntarily because when I went there, it was at the height of the war. Um, so <laughs> it's yeah. definitely a different experience. Um, but yeah, so what all parts of the country? I know we're derailing a little bit. Sorry, Jonathan. But what all parts of the country did you did you get to see while you were there? Uh, I was in northern Iraq. I was in um, I was uh, about two hundred miles north of Baghdad, and uh, toured. I toured all over there. Um, we were in the front lines, uh, in the trenches, uh, working with the Peshmerga who were fighting back uh, against ISIS. So I really got to see everything right up close. Um, and got to see a lot of my, my buddy was who's in the film. Richard Campos is his name. Uh, he's a he's a seventy year old army veteran who was over there during the invasion of two thousand three. And in just in a few days of what I saw compared to his tour over there, he he said, "Oh well, we've we've seen so many, so much more of the country than if we were just deployed here." You know, so uh, I really got a a really good experience over there. And like I said, I've been back now twice since then. Um, and it just was a, a once in a lifetime opportunity. So, although I, yeah. I got to go three times, but it, I, I still, you know, every time you just, you never take that for granted. So that was actually my first experience in Iraq. My first full convoy was actually resupplying them up in Mosul. So I happened to be there right as the DFAC exploded. Oh, wow. Uh, we, we were there yeah. for that. So it was definitely like I was up in those mountains in that, that northern region. Yeah, it's nothing like the desert everyone pictures when they think of Iraq. So, like you were, you were in places I, I crawled around. Yeah. I was, I was a, a few miles, a few miles from Mosul because at the time it was occupied by by ISIS. Um, and then we went over to, we were in Kirkuk. We were in, um, but I, I, I pretty much stayed in the Kurdistan region. Okay, all right, Doc. We got to get us back on track because I could, <laughs> I could go forever about this. That place is okay. really dear to my memories. Enough of that. We're going to get back onto fandom. So what is your weirdest or funniest interaction with a fan? Oh, gosh. <laughs> are we asking Jonathan or are we asking me? No, no, we're asking, we're asking you. you. We've, We've asked, asked Jonathan. Jonathan. No, I mean, I got all these questions asked already. This is, this is all I you. And, uh, to, I think it's safe to say it on the podcast because I don't think I, – uh, I met someone at a film screening and uh, we dated. We dated for a while. She came and saw my film. So I guess that's probably I the- I thought you were going to say Jonathan for a second. I was like, woo. Jonathan, no, no, no. We've, we've gone to lunch, but he hasn't bought me dinner yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lunch. We have to keep it professional. dinner yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're taking things slow. Got to make a movie first, you know? Yeah. <laughs> see how it goes from there. Yeah. See how it goes. <laughs> okay. So this is kind of our Reader's Digest version of our highlights. Jonathan, uh, can you give us your highlight reel of your body of work? Sure. Um, won the Jack London Award. Uh, just hitting multiple, you know, Amazon bestseller lists with different titles in science fiction and in fantasy. Um, we have our own publishing company. We started doing our own audiobooks. 
We. Now, what's uh, the name of your publishing company for those? It's who called. Don't yeah, it's called Archimedes Books. So we just published myself right now, and then there's one other author that we publish. Um, but yeah, just kind of try to push the envelope. Like whenever our company feels like we have something figured out, it's time to put ourselves uh, in an uncomfortable position so we can learn again. So last year in 2019, January, we started with uh, German translations. So we opened up like a German um, arm of our publishing house. And then we started French translations. We haven't launched yet, but we started the translation process. And then last week, I signed contracts to write a comic book series. So there's um, some artists who've worked on, they're video game artists primarily. They've worked on Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones video games, and Call of Duty. And they've been looking for a writer to take this new IP um, kind of to the next level. So we talked about it a bunch. Um, they offered me a position. So I signed contracts last week. And I'm supposed to write episode one of this comic book tomorrow. Exciting. You'll have to come back when that goes out. And uh, we'll talk about all the things and show all the and, pretty and pictures. And we'll bring Nick on because he likes to geek out over comic books. And just, or as you call them, the picture books. The picture books. But they've got him a little bit busy on the border right now. So we've got to get them to let that up just a little bit so we can snag him away to talk nerdy with us. Uh, but we I have love that music video. Sorry. Yeah, we did talk to him this morning. So there is proof of life, people. We swear he's not chained up in anybody's basement. They're just working him over there on the border. Uh, all right, so Matthew, now it's it's your turn. What does your resume look like? So you've talked about you the longest road, and uh, and some of the other stuff. But what what all have you directed? Yeah, I directed uh, I directed a, a vampire World War One vampire film that we took to the Cannes Film Festival in two thousand and eight. So it was right when like the True Blood Twilight thing was had just or was just about to kick off. Um, so I did that and that was a ton of fun and I'd love to do a feature version of that at some point. Um, and then I did, I've done a sci-fi found footage film that, that went to Europe, but didn't play here. And then I did, uh, I did a children's film called David, called David's Dinosaur, which is safe for the family. And you can watch that with, uh, with the family. And that one, that one's probably the most widely available, um, which is, which is nice. Uh, and then I did uh, The Longest Road, which we toured to the film festival circuit, and we, we played on three different continents and, and got, a lot of, uh, got a lot of recognition with that, which I'm probably most proud of because it's the most personal, and I, I made great friends and, and had a wonderful experience over there. So, uh, And then I, I just did a follow-up to that called da Daughters of Gafori, which is now in post-production. And uh, I was, uh, my producers were actually in Hawaii uh, the week the world shut down with COVID. I'm doing a documentary over there called Aloha Kai, which is about the cleanup in the uh, Pacific. I, so I'm a boater. I, I love to sail. And uh, so there's a, a cleanup documentary that we're doing that I'm directing that will probably resume by the time Jonathan and I finish uh, this project, which I'm ex very excited about because it's original and it's it's a return to narrative fiction for me, and um, and it's uh, some I've wanted to make a movie like this since I was six years old, and I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time. So, so when you talk about cleaning up, are you talking about the the beaches or the Great Pacific Garbage? No, patch? it's it's yeah, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, exactly. So it's a it's a, essentially about a conservation recycle and, and the damage that that we're doing uh, with plastic in the Pacific. Um, so, and that'll be, sh that'll be shooting out of, uh, out of Maui, 
hopefully in 2022. We've, we've pushed it back this, uh, this next year. And that's a pretty big crew that we're going to be taking over there. So uh, right now things are still, still been chaotic and the tourism has been kind of a crisis over there. So we're, we're putting that on hold. But the nice thing was because of that, it allowed me to go back to, to the Syrian border and do Daughters of Gafori um, with my friend who sadly she passed away. We finished the film and she, she passed away like two weeks later. So it was really kind of a blessing in disguise that I was able to go do it. And then, um, and then Jonathan and I met, and and timing has worked out for everything. Everything's worked out on this project with Jonathan, but the timing was great, and so that's kind of a uh, that's kind of been my kind of my resume. And then I did the Star Wars short a few years ago. I know I'm kind of going, all, uh, so a sampling of, <laughs> of a variety of things, you know. So that's the right show, show, and I think I've done them done it all. So <laughs> you mentioned your. Uh... Charmed project, which is not charmed off the TV show, just charmed timing. So, can you tell us a bit about what that is? Because that's actually why we're here today, right? Yeah, it is why we're here. Um, well, I will turn it over to Jonathan in a second, but um, to me, as a filmmaker, my favorite genres are uh, <laughs> are westerns and science fiction, and so I was a huge fan of you know the John Ford, John Wayne westerns. Um, growing up and um to a lesser degree the man with no name trilogy and you know the eastwood films sergio leone um and then for for sci-fi it's been you know star wars and star trek and alien and all the stuff that we all planet of the apes you know the original with charlton heston and stuff like that so um i it's a, it's a, this is a perfect blend of the two of those things and i remember sitting down with jonathan i you know because he said let's let's do a project together. And I said, well, what, what do you like? Like, what do you want to do? And when I, he essentially read back the same list to me, I knew that it was kind of a, you know, uh, it was a sign. Was Firefly on the list anywhere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I've mentioned Firefly a, a few times to uh, Matthew, who's, who's seen Serenity, right? You said you saw Serenity, but I've not. I've seen Serenity, I've never, I've never seen um, the show, I know. And, and my best friend is for it, so I, I need to, I know I need to check it out at some point. All right, so you mentioned uh, Western, so Clint Eastwood, yay or nay? Oh, for sure. The Spaghetti yeah. Westerns, and uh, yeah. did you ever read any of the Lewis Lamore books? No, I didn't. Uh, I read some of the uh, Zane Gray and you know, call the Jack London stuff, Call of the Wild, uh, Iron Will, stuff like that, um, and a lot of like the like we were talking earlier about some of the pulp adventure type stuff. But um, but no, I haven't. And I, I you know, the good and bad, the ugly. For when it goes to Eastwood West, westerns, you know, I took a western film class at, at film school, and we studied all that. We studied the Kurosawa samurai films, you know. Um, and that crossover and how he was inspired, Jonathan and I, were, and I were just talking about this the other day, talking about how Kurosawa was inspired by, you know, the Jap, uh, the Japanese filmmaker was inspired by John Ford, the American filmmaker, and they kind of like borrowed from each other, you know, and as we all know, Kurosawa inspired, you know, Seven Samurai inspired Magnificent Seven, you know, and it's kind of funny to see how, or the Hidden Fortress inspired Star Wars, it's kind of funny to see how that trickles down to the next generation and, you know, certainly not to say put my name alongside Kurosawa or John Ford in the slightest, but to see how that trickles down, you know, and the next generation is kind of inspired by that. So, um, but anyway, that's the foundation for this project. So, 
did you start off like so so what was the genesis you said okay we're going to work together we, we've got that but when it came to this specific project did you start with the characters did you start with the kind of story wait, wait, wait. arc let's tell people what the project is there we go so the uh, so, yeah so this will air when our uh, kickstarter is live so we'll give you all the details right now so the project is called infinity system and it answers the question, if our world, if we could no longer live in our world and we had to go to another planet, who would we send first? Who would be the best equipped to go in that first wave to colonize a new planet? Not JR. His math skills suck. <laughs> so a uh, simulation has been built called the Infinity System. And these people are in the simulation and it simulates them being on another planet um, you know, when they're still colonizing, getting everything built and ready. So not everybody in this simulation knows that they're in a simulation and not everybody who's in this simulation is necessarily willing to be in the simulation. And then the kicker is if you die in the simulation, you get put right back in. And every time you die and get put back in, a little less of your sanity makes the trip along with you. Oh, that's dark. I like it. Has yeah, so it was uh, it was fun coming up with the idea. I remember um, is Matt that and I talking about it. The concept, you know, I remember when I went into the service, they were like, here's the thing, right? You have nine marbles, and the higher you go, the more they take those marbles away. And those marbles represent your sanity. Yeah, 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 yeah. So not even knowing it, that's a great way to put it. It's like everybody has a bag of marbles. But every time you die in the infinity system, you get one of those marbles taken away. You get put right back in. I think they stole that from the Peter Pan movie with Robin Williams. Oh, didn't think of that. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the been army a... steals everything. It's okay. No, there's only one thief in the army. Everyone else is just getting their crap back. I don't I never stole. I just acquired. That's right. All right. So um now that we've gotten a little bit, so the Infinity System, what it is, that it's this sort of almost lit RPG type vibe to it. But how did you determine from there, like, who the characters were going to be? Can, is there anything you can tell us about that without spoilers? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, the, the story kind of came out of, uh, so I live here in Southern California and I'll drive to Las Vegas. I have family out there and I'll make that drive out the 15 freeway and just look at the landscape around me. So oftentimes I'd make that drive, you know, by myself. And that since I'm a filmmaker, I always look at a landscape and think, what would I, what characters would I put out there? You know, uh, what, what, what do I picture around that corner? Are there bandits around that, that ridge? Or is it a crashed spaceship with an astronaut struggling for survival? And in that case, it was definitely, I, I could see a astronaut survivor story. And, um, and so I kind of pitched that to, to Jonathan. I said, you know, I kind of envisioned this, you know, like a space Western, you know, this guy surviving on a desert planet and he's in this simulation. And then Jonathan practically did a, all right, say no more. I got this. And, and we've, we've run with it from there. And so when I read the script, I, he sent it to me, we had the initial conversation. We went to lunch and uh, and then he said, OK, I'm going to get you a script. And it was probably three days later. And he sent me 20 pages without an ending. And it took me some time to actually get to it because I wanted to read it all in one sitting. And when I read it, I was just you know turning every page. And I couldn't believe that this was just kind of the idea that I had just kind of teased that then he just he ran with it. And I was just hanging on every single word of 
you know, what these characters were saying back and forth and, and to kind of see it fleshed out like that um, was just, was just so cool. And, and for me, even now reading the script, I, I, you know, there's parts that are funny. There's parts that are exciting. There's, you know, a potential romance there. And it, uh, for me as a fan first, you know, of these genres, I, I'm reading the script as a fan, you know, not even as a filmmaker yet. So, so that's been a really uh, good sign for me, a really good feeling to know that this is something I think that will resonate with, with lovers of, of, of this world that, we, that we're here to talk about, you know? I think that's an important note too. So inside the simulation, it's a space Western. That's what the vibe is and that's what the feel is. And um, when we were coming up with this idea and through this whole process to this point, everybody who's uh, we've talked to about the project seems super excited. And I feel like, uh, you know, doors closed, so you know, that's not the right avenue. Like nor, no doors have closed from a cinematographer who's already on board to Matt has connections with casting directors who have already said yes to helping to an actress that I know who's already read the script. She said, yes, she's in. So I don't, I don't think that no, anybody has said no yet. Maybe that's coming. I always tell Matt, like maybe that's coming once we actually, you know, launch the Kickstarter and uh, maybe it'll happen then, or maybe after the Kickstarter and we start like filling out the rest of the roles for actors and actresses, maybe we'll hit all those no's then. But so far everybody said, yes. So I think that's a, a great sign. I don't think a lot of these projects are, are floating around. A lot of these like fun Western sci-fi, we're not trying to preach to anybody. There's no hidden messages or agendas we're trying to get across. We're just trying to have fun. Yeah. So we know just from years of, of um, friendship that, that you write, originally you wrote novels, Jonathan. So how hard was that for you to transition where you can write everything in narrative prose to describe the world to switching almost to like bullet point plot outline when it comes to set directions and all of that to, to write it as a script. Oh man. It's so, that. it's so much easier writing scripts than writing novels because uh, a novel, right. is like 80,000 words. So I've written two other scripts um, that have been picked up and are in various stages of development. And even, I think I want to say it was only like 16,000 words for an hour and a half movie. So like 16,000 words compared to 80,000 words. So scripts, I feel like I can just like crank out and it's all the same elements I would write in a book. Like it's all just like character driven action, um, you know, having that romance, having a lot of mystery involved, keep on asking questions, answer one question and then ask them two more questions to keep the narrative going. Okay. So not to freak out your fans, but you are still going to keep writing novels, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, okay. what I have been doing... You hear the fans going, wait, does that mean he's stopping writing? No, 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 for sure. I'm still writing novels. I, uh, I had been doing writing a novel a month. So I'd write a book a month for the past few years. And then this year, when I knew that I wanted to kind of make the transition into writing scripts, I decided just to write six books this year. So I would write yes. six novels. And that gave me the ability to write three scripts so far this year. And then I have the comic book that I'm doing. And then some other projects going on. But yeah, still writing novels. I've had um, outlines that were longer than what you're saying some of these scripts are. Those Especially aren't outlines, they are. Well, I mean, sometimes you have to if you're doing shared roles. So, okay, they're Weber-style outlines. Well, I mean, I, he's a man after my own heart. Him and Brandon Sanderson, they know how many words a book needs. But we're here to talk about their movie. So 
you, you've talked about a little bit about the type of characters you're going to have. Have you flushed it out to the point where you know character one is going to be John Doe and character two is going to be Bob Doe or what? Like, do you have characters already or is it still sort of conceptual at this point? Yeah, I think at this point we're we're pretty confident in the characters, and we're we're already looking at at casting, and it'll be you know the goal is to make it a for sure a SAG you know uh, after a production. Um, granted, it'll be a, a lower budget. It's it's certainly not you know it's not a Star Wars sized budget. You know this is indie indie filmmaking, but um, yeah, we're 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 kind of looking at. at you know, actors that we could see playing these roles. And what's so cool is in our production meetings, we've all kind of been on the same page of, of who we kind of envision and and uh, and who we can kind of see for these for these characters. And um, that's been really fun. That's been really, really fun. So I know that uh, because I lurk in, in Jonathan's um, Facebook group, I know, I know. And, and I've been in lots of others. I manage a few where the fun things the fans of books like to do is if they made this a movie, who would be the actor for X character, right? So when you look at a, a, uh, a script and you're looking at this concept, how do you as the director, because I'm assuming you're the one who makes the casting decisions, right? Oh, it's definitely a, it's, well, I mean, especially when it's low budget filmmaking, it, you have so many confines, you know, is it a union project? Is it not, uh, you know, and, and even if you said, even if you got, you know, uh, a $5 million or a $10 million budget, it doesn't mean that the actor that you want that you could get, afford with that budget is actually available or, or even willing to, to, um, yeah. to work with you. you I've know? seen some of those those issues with like um, The Witcher and stuff where they had other things. So it's going to be like two years between season one and season two. Right, so. right. And that yeah. was before COVID happened. So yeah. as, as the person making those casting decisions, and, and I got from what you were hinting at that Jonathan was going to have some say too, but when you look at the character descriptions, how do you turn around and say, this is what I want as the actor for fill in the blank role? Like, how do you translate that from the, the script, the book, whatever, onto picking the real life flesh and blood representation of? Yeah, I think, especially since this is going to be a, a shorter film, this is, we're, we're making like a, probably a 30 minute short film. Um, I, I, you know, even if we had, even if we had the dream budget, you know, it doesn't mean I want to run out and cast a Chris Pratt or something as much as I love that guy, you know, he's in, he's in a lot of stuff, you know? And so you think, all right, do I want to, do I want to do something where yeah. you find a relatively unknown actor to, to play this part or be, you know, my thing is if you, if you see, Daniel Craig in Knives Out, how many people are saying, well, but he's he's also James Bond, and how do I remove the identity of yeah. James Bond? I think really now? one of my favorite things growing up watching sci-fi and fantasy, particularly more so I think with sci-fi than even fantasy, was the fact that most of the people in there were people where it was part of their big break. It may not have been that exact big break, but it was definitely, you know, Patrick Stewart was did very few things before becoming Jean-Luc Picard. And I really, I've always liked that a lot better. Mm -hmm. I think it means you're bringing in a lot of a fresh face. And, and to be honest, I kind of like just seeing other people do things. And uh, I, I know one of my favorite, uh, the guy who, when uh, Dumb the original Dumbledore actor died, um, the gentleman who's playing Gandalf who offered the part. 
Yeah, I, I am horrible with author with names. I can I can tell you tons of stuff about books, but actors, I'm horrible with their names. You're, you're way ahead of me. So, so you, you but you, because you also do run into typecasting, and you don't want to have that because I think it doesn't do the creative work the best. So, when you were writing these, Jonathan, did you have anybody in mind, or were you just trusting that Matthew Hall was the expert, and you were going to sort of lean into his his experience? No, I don't think, um, I think maybe for the main character, we had talked about kind of like a, a Clint Eastwood, Eastwood uh, John Wayne type. Mm -hmm. But I don't think for the other characters, we had named actors or actresses when we started writing it. That came afterwards, after the script is written. Then we could be like, oh, we see this person as being this character. So I think just the main character, we're like, okay, we kind of want to do like a, a John Wayne, Clint Eastwood. Okay. Yeah. I think as we've, as we've been going forward and, and also kind of setting realistic expectations of who we can get, you know, I think our goal is to get, you know, actors that, that maybe you have seen or, or recognized from, you know, either certain shows or what have you, but they've never had this size of a leading part, you know, but uh, they come from, you know, shows that, or, or films that we know and love or, you know, um, but maybe they didn't get a huge starring role in that, in that production. You know, and I so I think that's kind of the angle that we're heading heading down now. And we have one character, and I don't want to give away too much, but he's kind of like the mentor, you know, Obi Wan Kenobi type character, even though he's not at all like Obi Wan Kenobi. And I, I feel like Jonathan and I have talked about all right that that that's the role where we can get you know an established you know supporting actor to to uh, to kind of play a, a bigger part here. Okay, so. You've mentioned that this was going to be a shorter film, so you didn't have room for a Megan name. Uh, is this because it's a short film, or is this like a pilot to a longer-going series? What What is your idea for the arc of this project, if you got your druthers? Yes. <laughs> yes is the answer. Uh, it's it's all the above. Uh, Jonathan and I have talked about you know what this could be, and we certainly have fleshed out a world that I think could be explored in, in multiple different platforms. I, ideally, I could see it being a, a long-term series and uh, you know potentially a feature-length film, but at the same time, and Jonathan and I have talked at length about this to the sense of what do we want it to be? And I think my, my main point for me as a filmmaker was I want the short film to at least stand on its own if nothing ever came from it uh, otherwise, you know? Um, but with, with Jonathan, Jonathan writes, he's so, he's so efficient in his writing and he can turn things out so quickly that I, you know, it's like, I'm so now, I'm so invested in the characters now. I want to see what happens next, you know? And so I'd love to see it as a series. I, and anyway, Jonathan, you, you, you explain what you think, where we're going with it. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I've written episode one and, uh, I don't usually think too much about the next project until I'm in it, right? So like when I'm in it, I'm 100% laser focused writing, just go. But if I'm not doing it, like if I'm writing something else, another novel or comic book, whatever, I'm in that. So I haven't, I know that there's a lot of world to explore with Infinity System and I see it as a, a TV show, but I, it's fun for me because I don't even really know what happens. What happens in episode two and three and four and five? And that's the joy for me. That's the fun part for me, being able to write. So I hope we do, uh, we are able to explore this world more so we get to see. And that kind of goes into um, talking about the Kickstarter a little bit. Like one of the things that we talked about when we were, Matt and I were talking about how to fund this project 
is, you know, trying to find a private investor or a couple of private investors, funding it ourselves, running a Kickstarter. But I think that we want to create a community around Infinity System and hopefully they'll be able to see this, you know, expansive world where there's a lot of possibilities and get invested to people who love, you know, the Western sci-fi themes, make them a part of this project. So with the Kickstarter, we're hoping to build that community around the project and then uh, in the process of give back, give back to these people who we call our tribe. So in the Kickstarter, you'll be able to see a ton of really cool perks, everything from uh, assigned posters to uh, blasters, prop blasters that you'll be able to take home to coming on set. We'll invite you on set to be an extra, you know, gear you up in that Western sci-fi apparel to be an hey, extra JR, on you set. Think you could do that or are you just going to probably hide? still mess that up too, but it's okay. Uh, I, I've been shot at before. I don't, I don't need to fake it again. Um, so what other, besides the, the showing up on set and the the chance to be a cameo walk on extra, whatever, have you figured out other, um, sort of tiers of rewards for your Kickstarter yet? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, to Jonathan's point, it, uh, this is, as we all know, it's such a active community that, that you know wants to hang out with each other and support each other and this is a project that we kind of wanted to get everyone in on the ground floor to to have some say in the in the matter you know um so the the perks that i'm excited about as, as a filmmaker i look at it and say all right this this sounds appealing to me you know come out and you know have a have a, a zoom conference with with jonathan and i and or you know have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with us about what you love about sci-fi what you want to see in films what you don't want to see in films, you know? Um, and so I'm excited for like those, you know, this kind of opportunity right, right here, just the four of us chatting, you know, some of that kind of stuff, which I think will be really cool. Um, sharing the concept art and having that, you know, you could, there'll be lithographs and, and um, stuff that people can, can take home from, from that area of the production. Um, but I think for me, all the filmmaking perks are as a filmmaker, that's the stuff that excites me the most. You know, uh, having people come out on set, uh, you know, and spending time with us, being in the film, uh, the little Easter eggs, getting your name in the movie somewhere on a computer screen or something like that. Um, so there's a, a lot of little nods and winks and, you know, getting listed on the IMDb. It's a nice, easy way to, to add another credit to your resume, you know. And when you're starting out, when you're, when you're young and starting out, I mean, that's like, that's a big deal, you know. I think we have uh, IMDb credit forever ago. Yeah, for sure. And we uh, we wanted to make sure that we get everybody involved in this project, no matter how much money they may or may not have. So you'll see that tier one is a dollar. So you can be part of this project, get on the newsletter, get updates, and even get something cool. I'll wait. I won't say what you'll get, but you'll be able to see on the Kickstarter. At one dollar, we'll give you something cool, too, just to be a part of this, just to be a part of this community, just to, um, you know, surround ourselves with our tribe. And the other thing I'd say to that is also, you know, I come from the school of low budget, no budget filmmaking. You know, I've never had a budget over $200,000 for any project ever done. So, so I'm used to stretching. I'm used to stretching that, you know? And, um, and so I, I think that's what, what, uh, what you're going to see on screen is that every, every dollar counts, you know? Um, and I think you'll see, you'll see every dollar, you know? Um, uh, we were talking about doing this. It's like I just want to. I just want to make the movie. I'd pay to make the movie. I'd pay to direct it. You know. So uh, no one's getting rich here. You know. We're just uh, we're doing it because we want because we love movies because we love this genre. Well, 
And I would say because between my time as a fan and my time on the podcast and my time as a director at Dragon Con, that's what carries over the most into yeah. the work and into any kind of discussion of the work also. And uh, because to be honest, if you're not excited about it, why bother? Right. Um, <laughs> I, I once had somebody look at me and go, well, what should I do for my major? Something you love because you're going to hate it by the end of it <laughs> yeah. um, because you spend so much time on it. And so you really need to pick something you love, but also fans want, I mean, it's the coolest thing in the world as a fan is finding out that the person and, and uh, David Weber is my favorite example of this because David Weber wrote honor Harrington mill SF the biggest honor Harrington fan in the world is David Weber and it's adorable. You normally would say they drank their own Kool-Aid, but I think he made the Kool-Aid first. I don't think he was just drinking the press. Like but I think he's a firm, is, like, real true believer. He's truly adorable and he's humble. Normally when I'm saying people drink their own Kool-Aid, it's because they're a little egotistical or more than a little. So so let's let's uh so turning this around. Uh so we mentioned a little bit about you know how you were sort of picturing the casting. I started thinking about it. In most books, and, and this is as true in movies too, the environment, the the setting is as much a character as the people that are playing, that are that are whatever. So, how are you guys going to handle that? Are you going to film out on real locations? Is this going to be a lot of green screen because travel budgets are small? How are you handling the settings? Yeah, um, we just had a really great production meeting with a cinematographer named William Helmuth, who directed a, one of my favorite pieces of science fiction I've seen in the last few years called Alone, and it's currently streaming on uh, Dust. Uh, but it's a great short film. It just was playing at Dances with Films here in um, LA. And uh, it, the film's called Alone. And he, uh, William and I drew, uh, worked together on the Star Wars short, which uh, which we won the, the top prize for. And he's an incredibly talented visionary director. And we were talking about that, you know, and my thing is I'm so used to shooting on location. Obviously, if I'm shooting in the Middle East, I've been filming in, on the Pacific Ocean, I'm used to, to shooting in real world, um, you know, uh, settings. And um, especially this being a space Western, uh, we definitely wanted to, you know, we're here in the American Southwest, we might as well make the best of it. So we've been talking locations for sure on how, uh, on where we want to shoot and that sort of thing. And, and kind of uh, talking about the actual logistics of, of mounting this production and, um, so that's been really exciting. But what, what's funny, JR, is you just said, you know, a key phrase there is that the settings are a character themselves. And that's that's literally the same thing I told Jonathan down to, you know, these the costumes that these the actors wear as a is a, a character of themselves. You know, you want to you want to look at, you know, all the gear that they're wearing and think, well, what does that do? You know, I, I love watching classic science fiction and I think, well, what was the purpose of that? You know, Star Wars is so good at that. Alien is so good at that. If you look at a lot of the 1950s sci-fi with all the blinking lights in the back, you're like, what is that supposed to be? What good does that, what good does those buttons do? They're not even labeled, you know? So uh, everything needs to have a purpose, you know? Um, and so I, I absolutely agree that the locations are a character. So we, we will do our best to shoot in real world locations, certainly for all the Western aspects of it, we're talking about, you know, how exactly we want to mount the, um, some of the other sequences that you'll see in the movie. Um, so the, that's a good question that I too have. How are we going to do it all? Okay. So 
Jonathan, uh, before you were a screenwriter, you were also a novelist, and now you are a, I don't know if cartoonist is the right word, comic book person? I don't know what the word for that is. He is multimedia. Multimedia, there we go. So are, are you foreseeing this uh, infinity system becoming something that you and Matthew might write novels in or comic books or any of the other mediums in this universe? Or literally. Yeah. We've, uh, we've definitely talked about it, talked about uh, books in particular and audiobooks and stuff like that. So I think right now I have, and that's, we're definitely open to that in the future. I think right now I have capacity to definitely take this all the way, right? I feel strongly that uh, we're going to get a TV show out of this. I'm just going to say it. I feel like that's going to happen. Uh, and then for, if that happens, then for novels, um, I have two series of my own novels going right now. But I mean, if Infinity System gets picked up, when Infinity System gets picked up for a TV show and we have multiple uh, episodes going, I definitely see feel like I could write a series based off these books. So you've also joined the uh, the trend towards sharing universes. You've written in some shared universes yourself, Jonathan. Is that something you foresee bringing other people in the creative spaces, be it comic book, graphic novel, other film types to, to work with Matthew? Is that something you see expanding or do you want to build the fan base first and see what happens? Yeah. So that's something that I think uh, Matthew had brought up first about kind of like uh, building a world with different, you know, products and stories and um, in different media streams into this. So I definitely see that as well. And then back to your point, JR, for me, I felt like let's get this done really well, the best we can do and get it picked up. And then I think there will be tons of opportunity. I think the opportunities will come to us to be able to build out and expand this universe. Yeah. I think one of the initial conversations we had was, you know, when I was, I think it was 11 was, was when Lucasfilm released shadows of the empire, uh, which was right before the star Wars special editions had come out. It was years before the, the prequels had even come out. But Shadows of the Empire came out. It was a video game. It was a comic book. It was an action figure line. And I mean, that's certainly <laughs> much larger than what we're anticipating. But it's like it, it was multiple platforms. There was a comic book series. There was the novel, you know, um, by Steve Perry. Then um, Joel McNeely even composed a soundtrack using John Williams themes, that which you hear in the video game. Oh, yeah, by the way, Nintendo 64, who didn't play Shadows of the Empire? Um, you know, but it was, it was everything but a movie, you know, which is so cool. And so I, I kind of talked to Jonathan about that and saying, you know, so many, we're creating such a big world here. I could see so much stuff living in, you know, different facets of this, which would be kind of cool. Um, and I think, you know, I told Jonathan the other day, I believe, you know, fortune favors the prepared. So when the time, by the time this film, you know, is, is released, like the goal would be, you know, we have a few, potentially some screenplays to to turn it into a, a series, you know, or to expand it into a feature-length version. So so you talked about uh, what would come next after this first, this first um, episode. Do you have a preference for something like the Netflix streaming model where it's multiple episodes and it's an episodic storytelling? Or do you think it's this universe is better suited to a feature-length two-hour movie? I don't know. I, I, I think there's so much to explore. It, I would I would love to see the potential of how far we could we could reach. I, I think there's a lot of themes that you'll see ex exposed in the in the bigger story, um, and so many questions that have 
yet, you know, I read the script and I thought, all right, now I have even more questions about what this world is about and what the end goal is and the potential there with this being a simulation and people not knowing if they're in it or not. I feel like there's so, so many possibilities there. And so while I would love to see it at least do a two hour film, I'm open to seeing it as, as episodic in, in nature. And I feel my hope is that when people, um, see the film and read the script, which was another perk, you can have access to the script before we even shoot it. Um, they too will say, okay, I could see it as a show. I could see it as a movie uh, and, and potentially both. Okay. So we know, and I mentioned earlier that I think uh, growing up in the eighties and nineties, we saw some, some really classic um, soundtracks for, for some of these movies. Do you already have the, the soundtrack sort of done? Or are you just going to license the mute mu um, sound or are you going to commission something? How is that going to work for you guys? He's uh he's sitting right in front of you. Oh, you're doing the music? So I so I um I'm a huge John Williams fan. I've seen him in concert probably 10 times and I even corresponded with him a few years ago. Um and so I I come from a very classical tr mu music tr tradition. I play I pl I've been playing piano since I was 5. So oftentimes I compose my own stuff because I'm really cheap to hire, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> Uh, I think that will, that's most likely where we'll, we'll wind up is that I'll, I'll write the music for it. But I, I come from a very classic, you know, school of, uh, you know, I, I grew up with James Horner, the Rocketeer score, you know, the score, we were talking about Willow, you know, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, Star Trek stuff, um, Wrath of Khan, that's a, such a great score. I, to me, you know, the music is, is just as responsible as the visuals that you see on screen. So um, it's it's an incredibly important job, and I, uh, I I'm up to the task simply because I'm I'm affordable, but um, but you know I'm all, we're already even on our production meetings we've been listening to to some different scores to kind of get get the mood just right, and it's uh, it's a little darker, a little a little angsty, you know, a little grittier score. We've been listening to I've been listening to the score from Zero Dark Thirty on repeat lately, just kind of getting the mindset. Um, so uh, I don't know, Jonathan. What are you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I feel like um, I feel like music plays such an important role, right? It's almost like the landscape. It's almost like a character when you have a great score along with you. So I, I'm with you. I think it's a, a little bit darker, and I think that uh, if a score can make you think and wonder, this one should should make you think and wonder. Okay. So we've been going for an hour and 26 minutes. Uh, I know you are, we are recording this um, several weeks before this will actually uh, go live. So was there anything that, that you thought before we run out of time that was super important to talk about with this project that you, that you wanted to get out before we start uh, the close down? Because I see Doc falling asleep on me. <laughs> I guess, uh, no, just like in closing for me, it's that, we want everybody to get involved, even if that means, you know, you can, um, you have a dollar to spare. We want to get you involved in this. If you can share it, that would be great. But uh, we just want everybody who loves to open a book, who loves to watch a movie and get lost in it. We want you. You're our tribe. You're our tribe. And if you love Westerns and uh, more specifically space Westerns, the more the better. So can we go ahead and give them a sneak peek of the concept art you shared with me? Before yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not, 
Yeah, it's not finalized art yet, but we will see the finalized art in the Kickstarter because it's a launch with the Kickstarter. So you'll be able to see the the final in the Kickstarter. Um, so I, I can see the uh, the Firefly feel to this. Oh, yeah. there's a bit there's... of Cowboy Bebop feel to it too, particularly with the gentleman on the end. Yeah. 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 yeah I yeah, love yeah. Cowboy Bebop. Sorry. No, it's okay. You don't have to be sorry. She gets a little nerdy about that kind of stuff. It's okay. <laughs> you know what? I'm a little nervous about the live action Cowboy Bebop, to be honest. So there's our our characters. On the left is Wayne. In the middle is Deacon. And on the far right is Jake. All right. So we, we've talked about Matthew. You're the filmmaker and the music maker. Were you also the art maker? No. <laughs> or no. the candlestick maker? I don't know. I'm just checking. The candlestick maker, yeah. No, I, yeah. I, drew, I drew some uh, primitive sketches and uh, on some paper, and I sent them, sent them to Jonathan, and, and he ran with it with, uh, with his team. So that's my only uh, – but it's been fun. We've been just kind of sharing, uh, you know, like Etsy – yeah, not Etsy, but Pinterest um, photos back and forth, just kind of saying, all right, what do you like about this? What do you like about that? Is that Very too Western? Is that too, not enough Western? You have know? you seen Trigun? I I have not no. No, I, you can look at Trigun because there's particularly the one on the end with the thing that goes across. He's got some Trigun vibe to him. It's yeah, I did Western anime. I haven't watched all of the episodes, but you I started. Watch all watched of it to get some of the vibe. So, so as the point, anime fans want to come and get me, it's okay. We'll we'll protect you with the internet shields. Um, so, as this project gets closer and closer to fruition. Uh, you're definitely invited back to Nerd Out because this is something we've not talked about before. Um, and uh, it's definitely something I find fascinating. Um, do you going to have a website? Or are you going to build community on like a Facebook group or any of the other social media platforms? What is uh, what is the tribe? Where are you going to have tribe headquarters at if people wanted to track you down? So we have uh, we'll have a newsletter going out with the Kickstarter. The newsletter will just be for films. So anybody who goes ahead and... Uh, helps us with one of the tiers on Kickstarter will get on the newsletter. So you'll get updates. And then if you wanted to come and join the community, there's a Facebook group that we have um, where you can come Jonathan Yanya's reading wolves where I'm already talking to people about this. They're kind of like, you know, the tip of the spear, the people who already um, read books that I write and who enjoy those stories. So they're welcome to come there as well. as we start to build this community out. Okay. So was there anything that you wanted to uh, to tell us about this project that we didn't think to ask? Because like I said, this is this is new territory for Doc and I, so we're just sort of feeling our way out there. Uh, mostly it was introduction questions and then ask uh, whatever we thought about on the moment. And if you've known me for very long, you know that doesn't often end well. Uh, I got brain rattled a few times overseas. So uh, started that way. Probably, but I have the perfect excuse with those IEDs, so I'm going to run with it, all right? Um, but was there anything that we that we didn't ask that you feel like you know they need to know this about this project? No, I think it's you know it's we're fans. This is a project for fans by the fans. You know, uh, this is a I've I've only done one Kickstarter years years ago, but all my other films have been privately invested, and it was very clear that this is a project that we want to go to the fans first because we we want to celebrate that community and and get their input on things, you know, and, and, and kind of uh, sharing the, the experience, like I said, from the ground floor. So speaking of sharing in that experience, presumably once this goes live, you're going to share it at the Cannes something film festival. Um, well, well, we'll see where things go, but I, I think we'll, we'll definitely get to, we'll definitely get to some film festivals and, and hopefully we're playing in areas that, you know, near some of your, 
to some of your viewers and your listeners and, and uh, get a chance to meet up and, and share in that experience. Is it going to be possible? And forgive me, like I said, in total ignorance, but is it going to be possible for people that aren't near those festivals to actually get to see the film? How's that going to work? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, if you sign up on the Kickstarter, you'll get a, you can, you potentially could get a download, download link, depending on where, what, what tier you jump in at. Uh, you can get a Blu-ray. I still collect, you know, physical media, you know, so I, I get my stuff on Blu-ray and there's uh, I think there's something for everyone. If you're a film fan, if you're a film collector, if you love the artwork, uh, you know, getting in on the Kickstarter, there's plenty of different ways that I th there's something for everyone on there. Outstanding. All right. So we will link that, dear listener. The Kickstarter will be linked in the show notes. So be sure to scroll down uh, below the fold, as they say, and that link will be there. And uh, contribute as much as your wallet will tolerate, because uh, this sounds interesting. And um, all right, so we can, as we bring this home, uh, Jonathan, where can listeners and readers find you? Probably the best place is uh, if you're into Facebook, it's Jonathan Yanya's Reading Wolves. It's a, a community. That's what we call our community, the pack. So everybody joins as part of our wolf, our wolf pack. Just basically means that. Um, we are, no matter where we are in the world, you're part of our tribe, part of our pack, right? We have some common ground to share, call each other's brothers and sisters there. And then uh, if you want, if you're more into newsletter, if you want to try to stay off Facebook, you can just go to jonathan-yanyas.com and you can sign up for our newsletter there as well. All right. And uh, what about you, Matthew? Uh, where can they find you? Do you have like a central landing page or just the IMDD? I hope I got that oh, right. Sure. <laughs> you can... You can send all hate mail to at Matthew Charles Hall uh, via Instagram. That's probably the best way to, to reach out to me. All right. So this is the part of the uh, the wrap up, dear listener, where uh, we tell you one, the link for the uh, for the Kickstarter will be in the show notes. So go check it out. Click the link. Dang it. Uh, and as usual, reviews matter. So please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. They help the right reader or movie viewer find the right book or film. Um, so yeah, that, that does help. Uh, and, you know, try to not to channel your inner Siskel and, Siskel and Ebert. Yeah, I'm butchering the stock. Stop laughing. Uh, but yeah, just, you know, be, be human, be nice, gentle, whatever. And uh, all right, Doc, where can they find us? I'm going to make you repeat this to me this time since you mock me so. I don't mock you. I see I what you're doing. you. Uh-huh. Are you up for it or do you want me to read it? I can do it. I Let's can do anything it. you can do Let's better. Duh. It. It'll be the first time ever. Let's go. <laughs> we fight like we're brothers and sisters. It's just what we do. So you can find us on our website at anchor FM backslash blasters and blades.com. No, so, no, 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 no. Anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. No.com. You are fired. All right. <laughs> Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. We're over on the Twitter at SF underscore fantasy underscore so. You see what I mean? She's knocking me. SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Send all of the hate mail to Doc Seska at blasters and blades podcast.com. I promise it's real. And if somebody's really answering that, I apologize for nothing. <laughs> Uh, we have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. 
backslash group backslash blasters and blades podcast you can support the show over on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades on a monthly reoccurring subscription model or you can support the show on buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast we will keep doc seska and nick garber duly intoxicated they will drink until their liver surrenders Never give up, never surrender. And Nick doesn't get it. He's got to work for his supper, right? We got to get him on a few episodes. But, you know, that whole urinalysis thing and wearing a badge, like it sort of limits his ability to have fun. You don't have that problem. You just blow up a science lab if you mess up. Fireballs are fun. (laughs) All right, Doc, bring it home. Okay. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber, J.R. Hanley, I'm Seska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week, same time, where we indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, all things that go boom, torturing J.R. And do not forget to go to the Kickstarter and to share this so that more people can find out. All right.